And I invite the rest of you to be seated. And um, as you know, if you attend here, we usually have our family prayer time now. And we are going to go into our family prayer time, but we're going to do things just a little bit differently today. We're going to have a congregational responsive prayer. And you'll see that either on the insert, if it's easier for you to read along and pray along, or up on the um, screen. So whichever is easier to read. This is a call to prayer and a prayer that we're going to pray in unity with thousands of churches that prayed this prayer last week. And again, this week we pray thinking about those in Charleston who were murdered in their church and for the persecuted Christians around the world. And so we'll read and pray this prayer together in unity. I'll do part, the part that says pastor or leader, and then we'll all join in on the all. And um, from there, we'll move into our family prayer time. All right? And so let us pray. We stand before you today, O Lord, hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. Our brothers and sisters have died. They gathered and prayed and then were no more. The prayer-soaked walls of the church are spattered with blood. The enemy at the table turned on them in violence while they were turning to you in prayer. We stand with our sisters. We stand with our brothers. We stand with their families. We stand to bear their burden in Jesus' name. We cry out to you, O Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, heads spinning, The violence in our streets has come into your house. The hatred in our cities has crept into your sanctuary. The brokenness in our lives has broken into your temple. The dividing wall of hostility has crushed our brothers and sisters. We cry out to you, may your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. We cry out for our sisters. We cry out for our brothers. We cry out for their families. We cry out for peace in Jesus' name. We pray to you today, O Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, souls stirring. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We pray to the God of all comfort to comfort our brothers and sisters In their mourning, we pray that you would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We pray that you would give them the oil of joy instead of mourning. We pray that you would give them a garment of praise in place of a spirit of despair. We pray for our sisters. We pray for our brothers. We pray for their families. We pray for their comfort in Jesus' name. We declare together, O Lord, with hearts breaking, eyes weeping, and souls stirring, we will continue to stand and cry and weep with our brothers and sisters. We will continue to make a place of peace for even the enemies at our table. We will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter them, We will continue to seek to forgive as we have been forgiven. We will continue to love in Jesus' name because you taught us that love conquers all.
We declare our love for you, our sisters. We declare our love for you, our brothers. We declare our love for you, their families. We declare our love as one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We declare they do not grieve alone today. Let us continue in prayer. And I invite you to say your prayers nice and loud from wherever you are. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see him living in us, right? And so even when our hearts are broken and our eyes are weeping and our heads are spinning, let Christ be seen in me and in us and in his church. Today our um, sermon is going to be in Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Luke 7, verse 1605. 1605 in the pew Bible, or in the chair Bible, if you're using that. And so hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. We prayed a prayer that was prayed with thousands of churches last week and thousands more will be praying in agreement this week. Praying with the church who had the opportunity to role model Christ in them and to model the forgiveness that they had been forgiven their sins and they quickly forgave the sins of this one who would come in and murder nine members of their church. I want to remind you that just we're in this Luke series. This is, I'm just going to give you the discipleship, like the teacher in me just has to say this. This is why it's so helpful to just read scripture daily and have just a regular reading plan because you'll see how the Lord starts to weave and interpret the things of life according to the way that you're reading on that particular day and that particular Sunday. A few weeks ago, we talked about being persecuted as a church, right? And digging deep foundations by forgiving. That was one of the ways that we would dig a deep foundation so that when the storms came, we wouldn't shake. And I see a deep foundation in the church in Charleston that they were quickly ready to speak forgiveness. And it averted all the potential violence that could have. It could have been a horrible outbreak of violence again in our nation, right? And I believe that was averted because they, they did this. And so we'll continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter them. We'll continue to seek to forgive as we've been forgiven. And so I want to lift up the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church of Charleston as an example to us, our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the whole nation has been mourning this week. And I don't know if any of you had the chance to see part or all of Reverend Clementa Pinckney's funeral service. But certainly the nation has been mourning. There were people who waited in long lines in extreme heat to go by and pay their respects to him as he laid in state outside of the um, congressional building there in Charleston. And then they filled an arena and President Obama delivered the eulogy as And we read the children, some of you maybe read online or listened to the letters that his daughters had written. We cry with those who mourn. 
And certainly this is a church that has much deep, deep grief. And we, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, share their deep, deep grief over the sin of racism and the murder, the murders that happened. Another thing in the news that some of you caught, perhaps, is that Zondervan mourns. This is Dr. Reverend Verlin Verbrugge. He was an editor, an academic editor at Zondervan. He was an author of several books. He got his Ph.D. from Notre Dame. He was a pastor of the Woodland Drive-In Church. He was a New Testament scholar, and he was my Greek tutor. He graciously, graciously gave up his lunch hour to tutor me for several years in Greek. And this week, he passed away. He passed away a six-month bout with pancreatic cancer, and he's gone. And our heads are spinning, and we just can't even believe that six months ago he was, he was editing books and even continued to do so with chemotherapy for a while, and he's gone. And my eyes have been weeping because Verlin is gone. Vic, you've experienced, I'm not the only one that's experienced death. Our nation isn't the only one. It comes close. Valley's death. We just went and picked up her ashes on Wednesday, Right? I mean, our eyes weep and we mourn. And on Friday, Dane got a call and his uncle died. And on that same day, Pastor Dave got a call that his grandma passed away early Friday morning. The family had been keeping 24-hour vigil at her bedside. His dad had sat for 14 hours with his mother who had been sick for a number of years, but taken a sudden turn for the worse, sat there for 14 hours, went home to get some sleep, had laid down his head on the pillow, went to sleep and got the call that his mom was gone. Woke back up, head spinning, wife driving him back over there, the family in grief, and yet his dad can't lay his head back down and just rest now like normally we would do because his father is also in hospice care, moved into hospice care this week. And so now the family sits in vigil with a father who's no longer taking anything, by, no food, no beverage, and um, is, is nearing death. So they're thinking maybe a few days. But Pastor Dave just said he longs to be there but doesn't know when to go. You know, with the four kids, you know, are you going to sit there for eight or ten days waiting if it lingers long? Hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. And so that's where we find our passage today, a story of a widow who had lost her son. And so our passage reads, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up, and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bears stood still. 
He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning, a large crowd weeping, wailing, I imagine. It doesn't tell us that, but I just, in my imagination, imagine that as they're carrying this dead person on a wooden platform out of the town, there's wailing going on. William Shakespeare said, To weep is to make less the depth of grief. To weep is to make less the depth of grief. Certainly, when we see tears, it's an indicator that there's something deep emotionally. There's some grief. There's some pain. And the Lord noticed. He saw this, and he saw her, the widow, in the midst of this crowd, And his heart went out to her. Jesus is a compassionate God. He's noticing. He's not turning his head, but he's very aware of current events. He's walking in and he sees this tearful procession. And his heart goes out to her. And he says these words, don't cry. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that he would not want her to express her emotion? I mean, if what Shakespeare said is right, is to weep is to make less the depth of grief, did he not want her to have some relief by being able to cry? Well, certainly Jesus was not telling her not to cry because crying was bad in some way. Jesus himself wept when his friend Lazarus died. When he says, don't cry, it's because he knows what's coming and there's something good coming. There's not just a relieving of her grief, but a removal of grief that's to come. Hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. We maybe don't catch the full cultural impact of what's happening in this story because we don't live at that time. But in that time, in that patriarchal culture, the man was the provider for the household. The man was the one who would um, make sure that the woman had a shelter and had security. And so when it says she was a widow, this woman was already very vulnerable in society. And where she would be poor because who would provide for her? But she would have a son, and so that son would be looked at as kind of her security blanket. The one who would provide, and yet now her only son, it tells us, was gone. And so Jesus has always been interested and particularly concerned about those who are oppressed and poor and in very difficult situations. And he looks and he sees that this poor woman is definitely in a very, very bad situation. Jesus' response, it's interesting that he goes up and he touches that wooden platform carrying the young dead man. Jews would not touch someone dead because it would make them ceremonially unclean. 
but he was willing to enter into that brokenness to come close and to touch that, which would represent human brokenness and the results of sin. He also speaks. Last week we heard about the authority. Remember Pastor Dave talked about the centurion and had a servant that was sick and he said, just give the word. You don't have to come to my house. Just give the word and my servant will be well. Right? The authority that he would have to speak. Well, this text is taking that story even a step further and saying, not only will he have the authority to heal from sickness, he'll have the authority to heal from death. To take someone who's dead and raise them to life. And so Jesus' response is to speak and to bring to life. Heads certainly must have been spinning when all of a sudden Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And so can you imagine what would happen in this funeral procession? It's not like in a motorcade where things would have happened maybe in private. This is out in public. They're carrying this man on the street. Jesus goes and touches that wooden platform, and then he says, get up. And what happens? The muscles in that man would be stiff. You know, when you die, maybe some of you know, when you die, your muscles stiffen up. It's called rigor mortis. And so it would be totally stiff. And suddenly, just by Jesus' command, the muscles in this human body sit up. And not only do they sit up, but it says that the young man starts to speak which means that this is another indication of the full resurrection because there's breath in his lungs that comes out and it's not just like doing CPR where there's no life and air might go in and out, but it's not coming over the vocal cords in a controlled manner. That means that you've got to have a brain that's functioning to tell your breath to go over the vocal cords in a certain way. So these are all proofs, proofs that someone who is dead is now brought fully back to life and the young man starts to talk and it says here and Jesus gave him back to his mother well all of those who were in that setting had the Jews had memorized the Old Testament so just when Jesus would give and he often did this just a couple of words or a phrase it would bring them back it would make them remember the story from the Old Testament and so Jesus gives him back to his mother And so by the recording of these words, it's reminding us of another story of a resurrection that happened with Elijah and the widow's son. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus wasn't the first person in the Bible that did this miraculous raising from the dead. But there had been a prophet in the Old Testament called Elijah. The Holy Spirit was upon him for certain actions and certain speech. And what happened was there was a widow with a son And the son died, his breath had stopped, and Elijah prayed and asked the Lord to heal, to resurrect, to give life back. And that young boy came back to life, and he gave him to his mother. This is what 1 Kings 17 says. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. And so when these miracles happen, these supernatural events, 
They're demonstrations of God's power, and it validates the speaker. It validates the prophet, and so that's what happened with Elijah. God has always been a God of compassion and a God who reigns on high, who has full authority. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we've seen in the Old Testament there were resurrections. We see with Jesus there was a resurrection from the dead. And so I want to open it up for you all to share a story of a resurrection that you know about. Anybody? Yeah? My uh, kids' dad had a lot of hate for me. He told me that he wished I was dead and that um, he wished that, or he, he abused me really bad, so he said that I deserved that. Well, I prayed a lot that it, God would soften his heart and... Um, after that, he let me in his house to cook him dinner. He let me in his um, let me take the kids for walks and stuff. And that was mm-hmm. so God softened his heart, and he was really broken. So. I'm thankful to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And so softening of hearts. And so we can read this scripture, and we can kind of interpret it in a um, people would say a metaphorical way. Like, what does this represent? Like a dead heart coming to life. And that's certainly one way, but um, Pastor Dave asked me specifically, he said, Gina, don't just make this metaphorical, because that's quite often what we want to do, because we think, well, we don't know about this. And so how else are we supposed to understand it, right? And so God certainly does. He changes dead hearts to living hearts. He takes hard hearts and changes them to soft hearts as we pray. And sometimes he takes a dead person and raises them. But as I've asked my colleagues, there's been the same silence this week. If I, I asked some of the pastors in town, hey, do you have a story of resurrection? Could you share a testimony of a resurrection with me? They look at me kind of like, are you serious, Gina? <laughs> like, you know, are you really wanting me to share a story? Well, actually, I really am. I'm curious if there has been anybody. Well, <clears throat> they're, they're not that com- Betty, you've got your hand up. Let me just come back here. Jesus changed my heart from the way that it was to the way it is today. And that was my resurrection. I may not have died, but I was resurrected. Amen. So did you hear what she said? When Jesus came and changed her heart and she accepted Jesus as her Savior, she changed from death to life. And that is the most important resurrection because when we're talking about bodily resurrections, you know, these young men that were raised from the pallet from the dead and the Elijah with the widow, those were temporary because they still were going to die an earthly death, right? But does God still do this kind of work today? And Betty, thank you so much for sharing that story because that's the one You're getting ahead of me because that's the one we want to end on. She must like to go to the end of the book and read that first, see how it all works out, and then go back, right? Yeah. All right, so Testimonies of Resurrection. I've read some stories um, in a book called Mega Shifts a few years ago about documented, um, reliable stories of 
and testimonies of resurrection. Um, this past week, surprisingly, we heard um, on Thursday night the Christian Reform um, Home Missions has a curriculum called Embers to Flames, and in that, on Thursday night, we heard about a ministry called of Heidi Baker where there have been documented um, resurrections over in um, areas in Africa. But there's one that I want to share, a particular one that seemed to kind of correlate quite well with this story, and it comes out of the Assemblies of God, the um, missions curriculum for children. And so it's available online and actually more stories, inspiring stories that you could read online. But this one is a story from Ethiopia. And there were two missionaries working out in a tribal area in Ethiopia where all of the um, people were Muslim that they were trying to reach. And they were not having any success in inroads. So they had prayed month after month after month that the Lord would help them share the gospel. And so one day they heard crying coming, loud crying, and so they looked out the, um, the window and they saw a procession of many, many people. And there was a father carrying his daughter wrapped in a sheet, and she was dead. And they were wailing and crying. And the one missionary looks to the other one and he said, here's our chance, let's go. Let's go pray for that child to be raised from the dead. And the other partner missionary looked at him and said, are you kidding me? If Jesus doesn't raise that child from the dead, we're going to die. Well, the one was just so full of faith, and the Lord had put it on his heart that this was what he was supposed to do. And he said, I'm going for it. And he ran out there and joined in the procession and worked his way up to the front of the line where the father was carrying the child. The other missionary went and hid in the bushes, threw dirt and leaves all over himself so he wouldn't be seen, and he prayed like crazy. So we've got one missionary praying like crazy in the bush, and we've got the other one that's now walking alongside the father, and he holds out his arms as if to offer to carry the child, and the father let him carry the child. So he's carrying the dead daughter, who he knew, and he started to pray for the child. And he started to ask the Lord to heal the child. And the people started to get angry. And then the little girl's arm came up. And everybody saw it. Well, it wasn't that he just tripped or something and the arm bounced out. But actually it lifted up. But then it went back down limp. And so he prayed even harder. Lord, raise this child. Resurrect this child. And the people started to lunge at him. And try to grab the girl away and, you know, try to attack him. And all of a sudden, the little girl sat straight up. The sheet fell off of her face. She looked at her dad and said, Father. And they said that 214 Muslims immediately dropped to their knees and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. So, then, a couple of months later, there was a church. They were going to have baptisms for all these people. And so 214 testimonies, plus the little girl professed Jesus Christ as Lord and wanted to be baptized, 215. Well, there was a um, Muslim who also was a witch, and he came to place a curse on them so that their, um, their journey with the Lord would be confused and that they wouldn't be able to grow in their faith like he was going to place a curse on them. That was his purpose in coming to the event to the church service he heard all these testimonies 
And by the end of the sermon, that witch came up and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And so by the end of that day, there were 216 baptisms. Praise God. And so, whenever the Lord chooses to do one of these supernatural miracles, it's for effective witness. The Holy Spirit empowers, comes upon, comes upon Jesus, came upon Elijah in the Old Testament, came upon this missionary in Ethiopia with faith and courage and a clear call, and the news about Jesus spreads, right? Luke 7 says the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I wonder what that means for us. What do these resurrection stories mean for us? Well, certainly it's to remind us of God's great, great power working through Jesus. The power of God in Jesus. These stories stir up and give us great faith. Remember, Pastor Dave prayed for many of us a new impartation, more faith, to exercise more faith, the gift of faith. And so, as we hear this story today, I'm trusting that he's stirring up and imparting more faith. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they'll do even greater things. And so I can imagine, I can just imagine that it's possible at some point that perhaps when all the world is watching and the cameras are on, like in Charleston or like in, with ISIS on, in those murders at that beach resort, right? Or some other time when the world is watching, what if all of a sudden the Lord wants to give a believer a gift of faith and a call to go and pray for resurrection? Maybe, just maybe, the Lord may want to use one of us someday. Will we be ready? Will we believe? Will, be, will we be the one, the missionary who says, I'm going for it, God's saying this, I'm going for it, or will we be the one that goes and hides in the bush? God's looking for great faith. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be looking for those that exercise faith. And so it's certainly not something that we're stirring up. But it's certain that we're open to, right? So we want to be open to be used however the Lord would want to use us. These resurrection stories remind us of Jesus' compassion. That he sees every tear. And so no matter what your week has been like or what your month has been like or what you're facing, maybe we aren't facing the same thing that Pastor Dave is facing, waiting to go to the funeral of two grandparents. But whatever it is, he sees every tear. It reminds us that Jesus came to bind up the broken heart, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. He's anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted, right? And so Jesus loves, and God's love never changes. And so whatever our hurt is, whatever the pain might be, whatever we might face, the Lord's watching. He's attentive. He's paying attention And this scripture reminds us, and this is what Betty was getting to and getting ahead of me on. (laughs) But when Jesus reached out and touched that wooden platform that they were carrying the dead body, it was just a precursor to when he would go 
and touch the cross. And he'd lay down his life. He would fully rest on that cross until every one of our sins was on him and the debt had been paid because he gives us the opportunity for new life, a new heart, a soft heart, a heart that would be willing to serve him and love him and express our praise to him all over the place because of what he's done for us, that when we die, we have hope because this isn't the end. He's going to raise us from the dead. Jesus is going to come back. And so the Holy Spirit's going to guide us to exercise our faith. And so ways that we sometimes exercise our faith is that we sing praise to the Lord even when somebody's dying. So you might see around a hospice bed or a, a hospital bed praises being sung. Well, how can you praise God at a time like this? Well, because he reigns on high. And no matter what happens to me in this hospital, on Friday, Betty's at the hospital, right? No matter what happens, I know where I'm going, right? Betty, you know where you're going. So we sing praise, and that's a way to exercise faith. We need to be ready. Maybe the Lord will invite us to exercise faith and pray for somebody who's dead someday. Are you ready? Are you willing? We share the good news, and I think about several of you that got up and testified and spoke at Ed Shoemaker's funeral recently. There's always a place and a time to share the good news of Jesus. There's really never, I don't think, a bad time to share the good news of Jesus. And so you shared that faith, that truth, in your stories that you told of his life and your memories of him. You used the opportunity to bring glory to Jesus. The Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so... Our hearts at times are broken, and our eyes do weep, and sometimes our head spins from what all is going on in the world and the circumstances around us. And into these places, Jesus steps in. God has come to help his people. This, friends, is the good word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, would you remind us daily that you have stepped in to comfort us, to help us, to save us, and that we have in you, all who believe in you, have the hope of resurrection. We give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as I prayed and thought about how the Lord would bless you to go out today. I felt like the Lord would bless you with the picture of the things to come. And so from Revelation, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And so I bless you with a picture of the things to come, and I bless you with faith and encouragement to see 
and to press on into him who is trustworthy and true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.